You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's edition. And uh, this week I am joined once again by Nick. Hello, Nick. Hi, Simon. Yeah, I'm glad we've uh, I'm glad we've got there eventually. <laughs> we've been having a good old a good old rattle about nothing in particular, and well, it's taken yeah. us an hour so far. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> well, we did kind of get ourselves stuck in um, poking around in trying to of... figure out what Windows 365 Cloud PC is all about, and um... yes, and that yeah, we didn't get very far. Basically, <laughs> we didn't get very far at all. <laughs> Um, other than finding out that it's really quite pricey, um, and we can't see anything particularly special about it. Um, yeah. And Microsoft make a claim on their page, it's the world's first uh, cloud PC, which I would dispute, having had web webtop Linux computers, uh, you know, probably a decade ago. But there we are. I can, I can uh, remember setting. I can remember setting one up online once. It claimed to be a cloud PC. Yeah, I mean, okay, were, it's a very basic one, but yeah, there were there were there, there were several. I had I, I don't were, know. I had three or four at one point. You know, my my cloud PC or something. One was called. I yeah, think. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they so. were all basically just running a very simple version of, of Linux. So you know. Yeah, it's obviously the first because it's got the word Microsoft in it. So, yes. So it must be. <laughs> it must be. Anyway, there we go. Um, for what it's worth, um, apparently prices start from about $24 per user per month. Um, and Alistair uh, pointed out in the uh, in the Slack, he said, I was thinking that Windows 365 might be an answer to replacing my wife's Mac as she needs one Windows app and is stuck on Intel. Then I saw the pricing. For a few months worth rental, you could buy a PC. Um, and you yeah. can. And uh, um, not, not, only that, not only that, it is actually aimed at businesses, not individuals. So. It is, but, um, yeah. but the, the, um, the specs were nothing spectacular. I mean, for... You know, for what was it thirty one dollars a month, you get four gigs of RAM and one hundred and twenty eight gigs of storage. Um, yeah, and if you want to get to the heady heights of thirty two gigs of RAM and uh, a four four times CPU and a five hundred and twelve gig of RAM, uh, sorry, five hundred and twelve um, gig of storage, <laughs> it was a hundred and hundred and thirty four quid. Yeah, well, right. So, well, yeah. there we go. But, yeah, but as I say, it's aimed at it's aimed at businesses anyway. I, what what I couldn't understand was, as I say, when, when I was working, I, we used virtual PCs. Okay, a, a lot of our stuff was on site, um, so it was our own cloud, if you like. Um, but we were moving across to using the cloud, and we were using Amazon, and we were using some Microsoft stuff as well. But I don't see what from looking through all the gumph that we spent the last twenty minutes looking at. It just doesn't look anything special, so I'm, I'm no, not quite just, sure what Microsoft is getting like at. Just looks like a basic virtual sort of PC, um, and it seemed very um, unclear about what you know, other than Office. It seemed rather unclear what apps you might or might not be able to um, run. Um, yeah, all a bit strange. But anyway, if you're interested in that, um, uh, there's a link. Um, the biggest story, whilst we're running on that, I suppose, is um, that the um, the trial. There was a Windows 365 free trial, um, and I've got two notes on this. One from the Independent, which says Microsoft has shut down its browser-based PC trial after only one day because too many people signed up. And um, IT Pro, basically the same story. Microsoft suspends the Windows 365 trial. And and actually, when we looked at that site, I saw a big thing saying, um, no more space. So... (laughs) Um, there you go. So perhaps uh, perhaps they'd sized it for you know three or four people, and 
five or six <laughs> went on. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But there we go. Um, bit confused about that and um, relatively unimpressed, I have to say. Didn't yeah, see perhaps anything. We're, perhaps, we're, perhaps we're both missing something fairly fundamental here. But Well, if, if we are, so. they weren't making it very clear on their... Uh, you know, in no, the, the website wasn't exactly. I mean, uh, even if if you just type in what is Windows three six five, it doesn't actually tell you. So no, yeah, it doesn't really confusing. Somewhat confusing, but there we go. Um, well, the biggest story of the week, of course, is um, Apple and its new quote unquote child safety initiative, um, which has blown up all over the net um, with people screaming from the rooftops, everything between it's the greatest thing ever, of course, to the sky is falling in. And, um, you know, Apple have completely thrown away everything they ever said about privacy and are now about to snoop on everything you do um the best two stories i found about it to be honest are um john gruber at the daring fireball um which is you know apple's new child safety initiatives and the slippery slope um and a non-hysterical um look at what apple are proposing or doing um now we all know john gruber is a you know bit of an apple fanboy but even he says you know he points out what they're actually doing not what a lot of people are saying they're doing and um and then you know references his own concerns about the slippery slope um i've got a whole list of of links in the in the show notes um tidbits uh glenn fleischman who's been on the show of course uh has written an faq about apple's expanded protections for children um which explains some of what's going on and for anybody who's listening who doesn't know um Apple have said that in the US only at the moment, they're going to um, institute a system which checks photos um, in on device. It's all, yeah, it's probably best to read John Gruber's explanation, but it will check uh, images on device when they are uh, loaded, uploaded to your iCloud library um, against the so- fingerprints of you know, so it's not actually scanning. You'll see a lot of stuff saying Apple is going to scan all your photographs. It's not. It's using a hashing algorithm which creates a fingerprint, which is then going to be compared to a database held by um, some non-government uh, non-government agency in the U.S. called something like the Center for Missing and Exploited Children, um, which holds a database of known um, child abuse images. Um, and if you, you know, if you get too many strikes uh, automatically, you'll be flagged to Apple and then that will be checked um, manually. And if you are deemed to be, you know, sending disgraceful photographs, um, you will be reported um, and probably struck off from your Apple account. Um I, mean, I, think, little... I think it's fair to say that a, a fair number of these articles are... are, are... They're not actually arguing against it, but what they're arguing against is more the fact that Apple are. It sounds like Apple are being intrusive into your personal information. Yes. It, it doesn't. It doesn't matter how you look at it. They 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 are doing some stuff with your stuff. But taking it from another point of view, they've never claimed that if the police ask, that they'll give them iCloud backups. No. So they've never said that they won't look at iCloud backups. And and what this is effectively doing is looking in iCloud and saying, okay, let, as you say, let's compare these um, algorithms together. And if they get flagged, well then, yeah, of course we're going to let people know about it. And then the other half of, of these arguments is, yeah, well, what happens if, what's the next thing? Yes, is this, which is they're going to the... do this for child uh, uh, pornography images, which none of us want. Well, some people obviously do want, but <laughs> we won't go there. Yeah, we um, won't go into that. Um, uh, no, but but it's it's what's beyond this. What's beyond this? Are they going to start um, looking for key phrases in what we type? And I mean, at the moment they're not. Even though they're looking in iMessage, they're only looking at photos, aren't they? Yes, it, it, it's it's my purely, understanding. Um, and it also um apparently indicate uh. Children um, on a family account, if their parent turns it on, it will look at images being up or downloaded um, in iMessage for, you know, um, sexual images. 
affects your image. Um, Which I'm sure most parents would be more than happy with switching on. Yeah, it. In um, all honesty, it's it's a difficult it's a difficult area. Um, I'll be honest. My feeling on it is that Apple have got wind of some probably horribly ham-fisted and massively um, overbearing kind of legislation that might be put forward and that mm. they are attempting to say, well, look what we're already doing. We are already children. doing the right thing. Yeah, um, maybe so. The problem is, darling, you know, with, with, with that story, is that, you know, innocent people could be just put in photos. As yeah, no, it's not done like that, dear. That's that's one of the things that everybody keeps saying, and that's not how it works. And that's a valid concern, because in the past, we've had things where, um, you know, people have started reporting people because they've got pictures of their children in the bath or yeah. oh, right. yeah. that sort of thing, right? But it's not that's not happening, because it's being compared to a specific set of known criminal, you know, photographs. My Part of my problem with that is, if you're only comparing against this known set of, um, you know, this known set of offensive images then that doesn't stop it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't stop, stop new images new images yeah. right somebody takes um you know an image of some kind of child abuse and then sends it that's not going to get flagged because it's not in the database well you, My... would, you would hope that the database gets updated over time well i'm sure it does but yeah. you know these <sighs> it's not it's not a perfect solution and it's not at the same time it i can understand why people pe people Apple say a lot about privacy. Um, it's one of their big things, isn't it? Yes. And you can sort of see why people have got a little bit antsy about it because it sounds like they're being spied on. Spied on. But it's it's um it's a difficult one. It is difficult. <laughs> I'm uneasy about it for two reasons. One, of course, is the slippery slope. Um, which yeah. both the EFF and even, you know, John Gruber admit, you know, well, the EFF are basically saying this is the start of a slippery slope. And once you let the genie out of the bottle, you, you can't put it back. Um, the, the other is um, just my feeling that I'm not sure it's actually going to do very much of anything because I'm pretty sure these kind of people don't go sticking libraries of child abuse images in their iCloud or yeah. sending them by iMessage. Um, it's, a, it's, pretty... it's, it's like things we've talked about before, isn't it? It's a little bit like the um, San, Bernardino, San Bernardino iPhone, isn't it? Yeah. Where we all pretty much knew there wasn't going to be anything useful on the phone because they wouldn't be using stuff to send information to one another that, that other people could see. So... It's all bit, um... so yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I don't um, know. I, I think you may be right about the um, impending overbearing legislation or something, and yeah. they're they're trying yeah. to do some preemptive Pre work, preemptively to... trying to do something which, in effect, does is relatively you know relatively harmless to end users. Um, yeah, or does the absolute minimum to end users, you know, rather than being somehow compelled to do something far worse for yeah. um, uh, end users. Well, that's right. Or being told they've got to examine every photo that any, everyone uploads yeah, <laughs> by a person or something ridiculous like that. Oh, yeah, it's... Um, I'm still uncomfortable about it. Um, yeah, yeah, me too. But then, um, I'm, you know, I'm comfortable about the whole subject, really. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's difficult. Uh, the other, you know, but I... <sighs> That's another thing that makes me slightly uncomfortable, and that is, you know, everybody pretty much considers that subject to be abhorrent. Therefore, it's often waved about and easily used to sway people to agree to things that if yeah. oh, yeah. said it was about something else would go, well, hang on, yeah. you know. Yes, because we've said it before, haven't we? Think of the children. Think of the children. Think of the children. Um, um, yeah, because it's, it's in some ways it's an excuse to put through bad laws and bad legislation. It can well be um, used as a way to put through all sorts of laws by simply going, think of the children. Um, I don't know. I Whether this will truly prove to be an Apple-owned goal, I don't know. All I can no, really... No, I think we're just going to have to wait and see. You know, see how it pans out. Um, at the moment, it's only in the US, and Apple have said 
um, that they will uh, consider expanding the system on a country-by-country basis in the future. Um, Probably because quite a lot of countries might say, no, you can't do that, to be honest. Um, In some ways, I'm quite sure this is also as a consequence of of questions that have been asked of the big tech companies what you know you're not doing enough to protect people you're not doing enough to keep people safe that on is, the internet and, and whatever mm. uh, and so I, I i'm sure it's if it's not a specific piece of legislation it's definitely as a as a reaction to yeah the general um, consensus that that big tech are not doing enough yeah and the other thing is although a lot of people are getting very very up in arms about it probably because apple do make a big thing about how you know they're privacy focused yeah. um you know don't be you know don't be naive google and facebook and twitter and probably half a dozen other services will be running something similar to this already in order to say mm. uh, you know like no nudity you know we've no... done yeah we've done our due due diligence diligence i can't say those words due yeah. diligence so yeah. <laughs> i know but the, yeah it it makes me uncomfortable um i've got a load of links i suggest really if you're interested in finding out what's going on i recommend uh daring fireball tidbits and the counterpoint from uh the eff the electronic frontier foundation um so we'll leave that i think and move on shall we um yes let's let's move on to a more pleasant subject um I had something else while we were talking about um, safety online. Um, I think it's Twitter. Twitter, where have I put it? I believe it's um, Twitter. Are, I don't think I put it in the in the thing. Uh, Twitter are teaming up, I believe, with Reuters and the Associated Press um, in order to help better root out misinformation. Um, and obviously I haven't put the damn link in there. Let me have a quick look. Yes, Twitter to work with Associated Press and Reuters to provide more context around disputed topics uh, on The Verge. Um, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting because that, that's, you know, that's the um, influencing voting and all that sort of stuff, isn't yes. it? And, um, um, fake it? news and... Stuff. Including proactively explaining topics before misinformation spreads. Oh, that's good. Right. Um, the platform's internal teams work to explain and add context to Twitter content, but the two news agencies will help provide more authoritative information, especially when facts are in dispute. It wishes to be more proactive about providing accurate information on topics developing before misinformation emerges. Well, that's got to be, I would hope that's going to be a good thing. Yes. Um, it, again, yes, trying to, I mean, we've got so used to being told that there's lots of people who won't even do things for their own health because they don't trust it. We're in a bad place with trust mm. at the moment. And uh, anything that can help people see that, you know, this is well researched. And I don't just mean drugs, I mean any mm. story, really. Um, you know, we from our man on the ground, as it were. <laughs> Um, then that's a, that's a better then it's better than letting people disseminate information that is just yeah. not true. It will be the first time Twitter has formally collaborated with news agencies to provide accurate information on its site. Um, that's if the news agencies get it right, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm pretty sure they you know you've got the Associated Press and Reuters who are you know world class. Yeah, they're fairly uh, yeah. Um, Associated Press and Reuters already work with Facebook to fact-check content on that platform. Really? Mm. I think the problem with some of it, places like Facebook, is just they're so massive, you need all the journalists in the world working full-time. Well, yes, not only that. I mean, the the very nature of Facebook is that it feeds what you like, and therefore, if you are prone to believe rubbish, (laughs) to put it mildly... Uh, yes. Then you're going to get more rubbish to look at because you will that's... be fed more rubbish. Yes, indeed. Yeah, mm. and that's the way their algorithm works. And you know, it, in many ways, it's a very good thing that it that that works that way. So that if you know you're interested in a particular subject, well, then you get more of that subject, and that's great. But yeah, the danger is you, you go down a rabbit hole and you end up believing something that's just not true, and uh, and the algorithm just keeps feeding that rabbit. 
<laughs> yes, more and more junk. Uh, so there you go. So that, that you know, that's another move by Twitter to try and uh, at least provide you know counterpoint to possible misinformation. Um, that's uh, that's good. It's good that they're trying to do something anyway. Yes, indeed. Um, so we'll, let's move on to what's left of the Apple stories, which isn't very much, I'll be honest. Um, Apple successfully overturned a 300 million patent infringement case. That was a 9to5Mac. Um, in March, Apple was ordered in an East District, Texas court to pay just over oh, 300 Texas. million. That's a surprise, yeah, isn't it? What's a surprise. <laughs> uh, to the personalised media communications after a multi-year lawsuit over alleged DRM infringement. Apple have won a reading, uh, a ruling voiding the March verdict with a judge essentially finding personalised media guilty of patent trolling. Um, That's fair enough. Uh, according to Bloomberg, the patent at the uh, at the basis of the 308 million mark judgment has been found to be unenforceable after Apple appealed. Um, the uh, patent for digital rights management is unenforceable because the company intentionally delayed its application of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office so it could get more money later. Uh, U.S. District Judge Rodney Gilstrap in Texas has ruled. Um, apparently, this application goes back to the 1980s, but none were awarded until 2010 or later. This strategy was found to constitute an unreasonable delay and abuse of the statutory patent system. Another name for this strategy is submarine patents. Um, hmm. uh, submarine patents are where the applicants delay issuance of a patent until after the industry has adopted a technology and infringement suits can then be more profitable. So basically, <laughs> well, that, and that's tied yet again into the fact that Americans allow you to patent the vaguest of vague ideas. Yes, uh, in the hope that someone will make something or do something later on that you can then sue them for. I mean, it's it's underhand and immoral, in my opinion. But there you go. Some people well, obviously I mean, think it's if okay. This... If this is, you know, if what they're saying is true, uh, you're talking about a applications sitting around for t maybe 25 years before they actually claimed the patent and then went, oh, look, you've infringed our patent. So um, yeah. a judge has seen through that and basically dismissed it out of hand. So Jolly good. At least one Texas judge apparently, you know, knows what he's doing. Um, there we are. Um, Apple, however, put their foot in it in Australia uh -oh. um, when they mistakenly promoted scam apps in an App Store feature. Oops. Um, oops. Yeah. Um, uh, Apple featured scam apps on the App Store. Slime relaxation story. The company is promoting apps that have $10 plus weekly subscriptions, many of which don't actually do anything. Um, it didn't take long for people to ex start exposing scam apps in February, blah, blah, blah. Well, this is an ongoing story, but apparently Apple um, actually promoted one of these highly expensive, worthless apps. Um, so a bit of an own gold there, I'm afraid. Yeah, well, we know that some we know some slip through the net. I think that's something. It's a that shame Apple... that they do, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that's something that Apple really need to look at harder. Um, Maybe so. Not much else we can say about that, I suppose. Um, um, Apple Arcade has hit 200 games with original and classic titles in the catalogue um, weeks before its first birthday, apparently. Oh, jolly good. I'm not. Uh, still not um, remotely interested in, in any no. of them. No. Uh, you know, um, I do pop in and have a look at the catalogue occasionally and think, oh, still nothing in there that I'm really interested in. Yeah. Uh, but, timeless... Uh, um, Apple has announced two new game categories for Apple Arcade this year, which are Timeless Classics and App Store Greats, with more than 30 classic games added to the Apple Arcade, including Monument Valley, Cut the Rope, Fruit Ninja, Angry Birds, etc. Um, as we mentioned, Jetpack Joyride and um, the like. So. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with appealing to the old uh, retro generation. That's, no, uh, you know, it's uh, that, that's not bad. Just not me. Not me. Thanks. Not my, not my thing. No, I'm not. I'm not interested <laughs> enough. In, not really interested enough in games on the phone to uh, be in the least bit interested. Uh, twice I've had a free trial, and um, both times it's run its course without me doing more than glance at it. I'll be honest. I I, I also quite like the fact that um, some games are made to make you stop. <laughs> in other words. 
they won't let you go past a certain point until you've waited, you know, 24 hours or 48 hours, because I, you know, I actually quite like that. I know it drives some people mad, but uh, as, as I say, I play this one game quite regularly. And um, uh, when I get to a point where I can't get any further, I just wait. And eventually I can. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sometimes there's nothing wrong with being told, put down the device and step away. That's right. You've been playing that for long enough. You've been playing that for long enough now. Um, and you can now buy the Touch ID Magic Keyboard separately. Um, Surely good. A lot of people were hoping this would happen, weren't they? I think that was almost inevitable. Um, the Touch ID Magic Keyboard, which Apple introduced with the M1 iMac, can now be purchased as a separate accessory. Only available in silver and not the colourful options available with the M1 iMac. $149? Goodness yeah, gracious. Yeah, I'm afraid man. so. Uh, Magic Keyboard with Touch ID, $149. And if you want the Magic Keyboard with Touch ID and the numeric keypad, in other words, a proper keyboard, um, that's $179. Oh, yes, because it co obviously costs another $30 for all that extra plastic and aluminium. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um yeah. <laughs> and all those miniature accountants that have to sit in there doing the numbers for you. Uh, <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, iPad users... Yeah, Nothing it, more I, than I would expect from Apple. <laughs> no. Um, iPad yeah. users should note that although this keyboard can be used with an iPad, Touch ID will only work with an M1 Mac, which runs I, uh, Mac OS 11.4 or later. Oh, right. Um, so that's that limits it somewhat, doesn't it? Yes, um, basically, if you've got an M1 Mac and you want a Touch ID, basically, at the moment, you're only really talking about um, if you've got the Mac Mini. <laughs> yes. To be honest, it's, uh, you know, the Mac the Mac Mac Mini buyers who didn't get a Touch ID keyboard. Um, I ended because... up buying a Logitech keyboard, which, uh, which is very reliable, actually. And the batteries yes. seem to last forever in it. I mean, it's not a plug-in one. You have to replace batteries. But I haven't had to replace the batteries for... Months and months and months and months and months. So no. that's good. That is good. It's a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit fiddly to get going. So if my computer goes to sleep and I find I end up having to press escape quite a few times to actually get the screen to respond. <laughs> mm. But uh, apart from that, it's perfectly good. And it was about twenty-five quid or something like that. So. Yeah, exactly. I have to admit, when Apple first introduced the ultra-thin, you know. Um, uh, aluminium keyboard yeah uh, way back when um they were the first when they first introduced them they were selling them for about 10 or 20 pounds and i bought oh, one right. immediately because i always hated the previous one the kind of white crumb tray oh yeah yeah one which always was always full of muck and was clear just to add insult to injury so you could see all the muck that had gone in it <laughs> um which is why I always called it the crumb tray, because it was always full of crumbs and dust and yuck. Um, and gradually the price increased to obscene amounts of money, if you want to be frank. Um, yes, in comparison to almost every other keyboard you can buy, that is quite a lot. I mean, unless, you, unless you're going for one of these gaming keyboards that has... Um, yeah, the mechanic keys. switches and all that. Or, yeah. or keys that change, you know what I mean, uh, that have little t TFT screens on them and yeah. have different symbols on them i mean obviously they're going to cost more but for a basic keyboard okay you've got the electronics now for the for your thumb to pass that securely and all that sort of stuff but oh well i don't think apple are ever going to change i don't think change, they're ever so. going to change are they no they're not no. um and that's pretty much it on the apple stories um this is a story which um I caught it was on the independent um and uh somebody that most people have never heard of um is the scientist Ken Catamole who has died um aged 98 um and the reason that we should all be grateful to professor Ken Catamole um is his research supported the development of the mobile phone and and all computers because the professor from East Burgholt, which is just down the road from me, worked for many years at the University of Essex and helped launch the telecommunications program. And he died peacefully aged 98 on July the 21st. Um, the uh, reason that we oh, should... Oh, he worked be... for... He worked for Remy. Mm. Oh, he was, sorry, he was in Remy in, in the Second yep. World War. That's, my dad was in Remy. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um... The main reason that we should all be grateful uh, to Professor Catamole is because he was the man who helped figure out how to turn analog waves into digital signals. 
Um, which, of course... Which is pretty uh, important in this digital age. It's very important. Um, oh, it, it, it was obviously a really good guy, because the very last sentence is, Professor Catamole fully retired in 1990, but continued to run a science group alongside his other interests of playing the piano and gardening. Well, <laughs> the gardening, go. I'm not so much sure, but playing the piano, I'm right up playing there. Playing the piano. <laughs> um, yeah. Ken was in at the beginning of the development of post pulse code modulation, which turns analog signals, including audio and video, into a digital form, which can be transmitted without limit limits, stored forever, cleaned up, and these days encrypted. It's the foundation of mobile phones, computers, and televisions we use today. So, there you go. Um, Jolly good. 98, that's not a bad age, is it? 98, and um, died peacefully, so, you know. Good on him. Good on you. Well done, uh, Professor and thank you. And thank you <laughs> yes. very much for your service, as they like to say. Um, the Affinity Creative apps uh, have gained memory optimization update, making tasks up to 10 times quicker. Um, oh, well, that's always a good thing. Yep. Uh, this is the one I talked about, I don't know, two or three weeks ago after I saw yes. um, Ash demonstrating it um, and saying it was coming. Um, there you go. It's out now. Out now. You can... Um, Go down, you know, download the update for your um, Affinity apps and certain tasks will run up to 10 times quicker due to memory optimization. And it doesn't rely on, you know, new chips or anything. It's all to do with uh, optimization in the code. So good on, good on them. Stuff. And um, I'm still hoping we might be able to get Ash to come on and talk to us about it all. That would be nice if we can, but obviously he's a busy man trying to get hold of, uh, you know, now he gets to go on um, Apple keynotes and things, you know. <laughs> People who have a bit more clout than us, um, yes. you know, he might not have the time. But anyway, um, what else? A bit of a bit of um, nostalgia here. Um um, an in-browser KidPix 1 is the perfect bump of internet nostalgia. Um, and you might have heard me and Donnie talking about KidPix when we did our thing about, um, you know, art. Um, art apps on, on Apple and uh, iOS, Mac and iOS. Um, KidPix was a 90s piece of software from Brodabund, if I remember, um, which was fun and accessible. Um, and it's famous mostly for the fact that it was almost impossible to, to draw anything sensible with it whatsoever. Um, <laughs> and that it had some weird and wonderful, uh, you know, tools. And uh, they were all backed by lovely, fun sounds. Um, one I particularly remember was Undo, which uh, would do things like go, oh no, and whoops, when you pressed it. And um, the move tool would sound like a lorry. And when you let go of the thing you were moving, it would um, screech to a halt with, um, you know, with squealing brakes. Um, I'm just trying it now. Yeah. And, um, oh, yeah, they, they do make sound of it. <laughs> Everything makes a little sound effect. Yep. All sorts of things. It's very fun. It was very fun. I must have missed this completely, but uh, um, when it was yep. first first came around, but um, I I don't remember why I had, I had a copy of it. Um, maybe to keep my kids in, entertained, or maybe simply because somebody said to me, "You really should see this." Um, <laughs> Nice. However, yeah. apparently, uh, Twitter user Vikram5000 said, In my spare time, I ported, ported KidPix 1.0 to uh, JavaScript HTML. Um, and um, there you go. As you do in your spare time. <laughs> yeah, when you've got nothing else to do. Um, what have we got here? Um, you can play around with the port at KidPix, and that's spelt with an X, uh, dot app should you be so inclined to uh, and for those who um, are interested in the closest thing to kid pics you can get on your computer um i put a link to tux paint um, oh yeah which is heavily inspired by kid pics um but you can actually still download for your computers and while we're are. talking about nostalgia i was watching uh, one of my uh, youtube uh, channels that i follow which is about a couple who live on a uh, on a narrowboat and they were visiting they were on the river cam visiting cambridge and they popped the uh, the uh, uh, computer museum in cambridge and uh, my archimedes forte well it wasn't my particular archimedes forte no, but, uh... <laughs> but they he panned around and i thought oh that's, that's my archimedes forte 
Have you ever, uh, talking of um, computer museums, have you actually ever visited the National Computer Museum at Bletchley Park? I haven't. I, I have actually got, my brother and sister-in-law bought me a cream tea there. Unfortunately, it sort of got delayed um, because of COVID, and I need to contact them and see if they'll bring it forward so that I can do it. But um, yes, because I'd really like to go, because people tell me it's very good. It's um, it's interesting. It's very interesting indeed. Um, it's in the grounds of Bletchley Park. Uh, you don't have to pay to enter Bletchley Park to visit it. The um, right. It's in a separate building. Um, although Bletchley Park, of course, is in itself massively interesting. But yes. um, you'd be hard pushed to do both in a day. Um, right. Um. Yeah, for people like me, um, it's uh, it's amusing to visit the um, you know the museum and see things that we all owned and thought were wonderful um, on shelves <laughs> as museum exhibits. Yeah. It's also uh, fascinating to um, see things like early. Uh, they've got an early uh, hard disc there, which is about five foot across. They've got a, pl- a platter, <laughs> right, yeah. a platter out of a, a very early. I don't know what amount of data it stores. It's some tiny amount. Brilliant. <laughs> I, I remember going. I remember going into Birmingham uh, Science Museum once, oh, some time ago now, um, <laughs> and they'd got um, the BBC laser disc that they, that they did for the. Um, doomsday uh all oh, right uh, yeah pro- project for at local schools um and uh i thought that was fascinating and that was in a glass case and i thought oh it's not that long ago i was using using bbc micros <laughs> no. yeah yeah and of course laser discs were not a lot, not around for very long really no they've never really um made the cut did they um and for those well who, cds uh, and dvds became i mean they could oh, put yes, so much but, more information just on dvds so but um the laser disc was uh for anyone who's not familiar was very similar to a cd effectively but it was 12 inches across um, yeah and uh like all new technology was horribly expensive <laughs> it was yeah. and it didn't it didn't really catch on um it was overtaken by you know better cheaper versions and smaller um, yep <laughs> as always right what else right well we've done windows 365 um yeah. um corsair who are a um you know a component maker says that new ddr5 ram will require much better cooling um uh you see now that apple of uh and reduce the temperature inside their cases. Something's got to push it back up again. <laughs> well, of course, Apple won't be using DDR5 RAM because they're putting their RAM on the die, aren't they? In oh, of course the... they are. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. completely so, forgotten um, that. Yeah. DDR5 memory is on the horizon and leading manufacturers are gearing up for release. Um, Corsair, one of the brands preparing to release DDR5 RAM, uh, the company revealed more about DDR5 RAM as well as some of the difficulties, including the fact that it will run much hotter than DDR4. Um, that's that old physics. That's that old physics thing again, isn't it? Yes, you know. Yeah, the more the, the more the more stuff you push through, the hotter it gets. Yeah. Um, DDR5 is going to be up to four times more fa- powerful than its predecessor, predecessor, and thus will generate more heat. Um, so soon you'll be able to tell the difference between a PC and a Mac just by listening to it. <laughs> yeah, by whether or not it heats your room up. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, take a thermal camera. So there we go. I've got a link here to Digital Trends, which uh, if you're interested in such things, um, DDR4 RAM features a maximum capacity of 32 gig per dual inline memory module. DDR5 will be capable of supporting up to 128 gig per DIM. Um, Gig? Goodness gracious. uh, I can remember the days when you were lucky to get a megabyte. Yeah, indeed. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Some of my uh, some of my first Macs had two five six um, SODIMs. Yeah, SODIMs. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, achieving this kind of step up is only going to be possible through enabling onboard power management, integrated circuits, and voltage regulating modules. So there you are. Cool. I'm sure it's very clever. Very clever technology. Yeah. I still think Apple are going in the right direction. Myself. I do, yes. Um, um, Corsair is planning to release DDR5 memory modules later this year, likely meeting the deadline to launch alongside Intel's 12th generation processors. 
Um, whether cooling these impressively powerful ram sticks will become a problem remains to be seen, but it is a good sign that Corsair remains aware of the problems ahead of time with the DB mm. trend. Not something that's likely to trouble us in the Macintosh world. So there you go. But if you run gaming PCs and whatnot, you maybe find yourself dealing with such things. Um, there we are. Uh, keeping old computers going costs the British government 2.3 billion a year, says uh, the BBC. Um, almost half, almost half of all government spending on computers is dedicated to keeping old systems going. Mm. That doesn't really surprise me. I mean, it's a little bit like at one time you could get a COBOL pro programmer with no problem at all. <laughs> you yeah. could get them cheap. But you try getting one now if you've got something that's still running on COBOL. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of money. 2.3 billion. Yep. Per annum. Mm. Um, oh, there we go. Um, again, you can read that. Um, uh, a cabinet report called Organising for Digital Delivery warns that the government could end up spending between 13 and 22 billion over the next five years supporting obsolete systems. <laughs> Uh, that's not good. Not good at all. Unfortunately, sometimes as we you know... Just have to, sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and go for it. <laughs> yeah. I know it's um, hard. We, I mean, we had, uh, when I was working at 7 Trent, we had a, a number of occasions when we had to take fairly important systems and move them onto a new platform. And it was always so much angst around the whole thing because knowing, you know, particularly if it's a fairly key system. Uh, and there's so many things to think about. And the trouble with some of these older systems is that they're sort of programmed over time. So they sort of grow into this sort of monster that, you, that you've then got to unpick. Yes. To actually put it in a new system. So, yeah, I don't envy them at all. Unfortunately, I have to say, you know, governments are notoriously poor at such things. Uh, here in the UK, you might remember this, Nick, the government spent a vast sum of money on um, what was supposed to be a fabulous new um, IT system for the NHS, which would allow oh, you know, yeah. doctors and whatnot to all have access to, um, you know, notes, patient notes and all sorts of other things. And they spent a vast sum of money and never got it going and then abandoned it altogether. Um, Big uh, IT projects are hard. They are. And best not <laughs> run by hard. governments, usually. Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> so there we go. Um uh, Amazon tries to make amends after backlash for destroying millions of unsold products. Um, this was on uh, yes, Android this was or, or Authority. We talked about it a while ago, didn't we? We did. Um, a recent investigation found Amazon was destroying scores of brand new items such as phones, laptops, TVs and, work, and more. Um, basically, yeah, the TLDR, as they have it on the top here, Amazon has announced two new programs to decrease wastefulness after it was found destroying brand new products. The new initiatives aim to give overstocked and unsold items a second life. Um, or a first life. Indeed. Yes, in fact, really. Uh, these new programs <laughs> are examples of the steps we are taking to ensure that products sold on Amazon, whether by us or small business partners, go to good use and do not become waste. Um, sellers who wish to resell returned items can relist them on Amazon as used. Um, sellers can choose to set a new price and route it to this new, new program automatically. This option is now available to sellers in the UK and will be available in the US by the end of the year and in Germany, France, Italy and Spain in early 2022. It's um, really good. I hate to see waste. Yes, and a liquidations program will give sellers an option to use Amazon's wholesale resale channel and technology to recover a portion of their inventory cost from returned or overstocked inventory. And this is now live in US, Germany, France, Italy and Spain and set to go live in the UK during August. Oh, OK, I, I watch a couple of people on YouTube who do that for a living. They, re, they recycle Amazon returns. And make a living out of it. So, you know, all, 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 all kudos to them. Yep. Um, there we are. Well, that's good. I mean, it's something. I mean, yes. it, it's pretty much what everybody said. Why aren't you doing this? You know, you can. <laughs> yes, they're now, they're now going to do it. Returned items can be resold as used or, you know, open box, as it were. And um, the, the biggest thing was, I think the biggest thing in the original story was not so much the returned product as the overstock where, you know, stuff that was just in stock 
and Amazon were charging a storage fee for and were not selling, it was cheaper for That's the right. cheaper for the you know the owner to just say to Amazon, get rid of it. Then I can't, you know, I'm yes. not paying you for something that's not selling. Um, now they'll be able to put it into a wholesale resale channel, no doubt, and sell them in wholesale lots. So not to you or me, but you know, a hundred laptops, you know, at half price or whatever. Um, rather well, my experience of resale. resellers, my experience of the way that that the returns thing works is is usually they get sort of a a hodgepodge of stuff. You don't you, you don't tend to get um, package stuff in a way. In that way, they tend to just sort of say. Well, you know, the contents of this these boxes is worth I don't know ten thousand quid. Yeah, uh, and you can have you can have them for a fifteen hundred. Yeah, and um... uh, 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 and some of them will be broken. Some of them won't work. Some of them will be missing bits. <laughs> uh, but some of them will be new, and uh, and you take potluck basically. Yeah, yeah, storage wars kind of thing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a little bit like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, the people who make a living out of it do make a living out of it, so it obviously is profitable, but it's not ridiculously profitable. No, because you're dealing with you're dealing with you know returns, seconds, and yes, and and, and in all honesty, people can be quite unscrupulous. So, <laughs> and sometimes they'll get stuff back that looks really good, and when they open it up, what they've done is bought a new one and then swapped it with the old one and sent the old yeah. one back, all sorts. and things like that. So. There we are. But uh, well, it's, it's good that they're doing something and they're not throwing stuff away. Yeah, although, you know, it's a shame that they had to get caught throwing huge amounts of stuff away to be... Uh, yes, before they did it. <laughs> before Absolutely. they decided that perhaps they don't ought to be doing that. Um, uh, Firefox has apparently lost 46 million users in the last three years. Um, That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Um, what does it say here? Mozilla Firefox has hemorrhaged nearly 46 million users in the last three years. The company's own public data report shows a steady and troubling decline in popularity for a browser that serves as one of the last serious competitors, the Safari and Chrome. Um, it says here, colloquially known as Firefox, Mozilla's browser exploded onto the scene in 2002, and this bit is completely wrong, with the explicit intention of disrupting the monopoly Safari and Chrome had long in enjoyed uh no sorry it was launched with the specific intention of combating internet explorer it was yes <laughs> because uh, i'm pretty whoops. sure at the at 2002 safari didn't exist and uh chrome was not yet built um mm. but there we go um Firefox's staying power appears to be in jeopardy while Firefox desktop client had 244 million reported active monthly users in 2018. This number has sagged to just under 50 million. Um, That's interesting, isn't it? I wonder why that... I mean, I don't use Firefox these days, but I wonder why... Is it because the other browsers have got so much better? Um, or is it just that other browsers come installed on computers and... <laughs> the drop-off suggests that users are migrating to Chromium-based browsers such as Google Chrome, which comes conveniently pre-downloaded on Android, and Microsoft yeah. Edge, which serves as the default browser for Windows. Um, Interesting. I don't know. Um, it would be sad to see it go away, I have to say. Um, it's always useful to have uh, other browsers, definitely. Yep, definitely is. Um, I do use Firefox as one of my backups if Safari you know, won't play with a particular site. Sometimes it's handy. Um, um, it does say right at the end, even with the worrisome loss, Firefox's active monthly users sat at an average of 198 million at the end of quarter two in 2021, hmm. which is nothing to sneeze at. So that, that's still quite a lot of users. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably just nowhere near what the others have got. No, nowhere near at all. Um, I mean, the thing is, I remember the launch of Firefox and how, you know, it rapidly became pretty much the number one browser for a while as it... It was it was very it was um I think most of it was about speed wasn't it it was a lot faster than what was available at the time yes um, was, um, and of course it was very much like you know get out of the grip of Microsoft <laughs> yes yeah yeah there I remember using it when it first came out I used it for quite a while um, yeah you know I remember because at the time you know that was the pretty much the only real alternative to um, to Internet Explorer. And they had an upward, and they had an upward battle at the time because it, it, 2002. Would it, it would it have been about that time that we were getting a lot of the? You're not using Internet Explorer, therefore you can't access this site. 
I think that was that was kind of part of it, yeah. Yeah, did, which, you know, which which made it quite hard for them to break into that market. So, but um, they made a. But there we go. There we are. Interesting. Um, on the security and privacy side, um, GCHQ here in um in the UK, um, which is the what's that? I forget what it is. It, anyway, it's the government sort of spy listening cyber watch thing. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, three random words. HQ no. is definitely headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and G government... is definitely government. What's the C stand for? Government. Communications? Communications, yes. I think. Communications. Uh, because everybody yeah. just calls it GCHQ. Um, oh, they do. Yeah. And um, obviously they're famous for, you know, being listening for Russian chatter and all that sort of thing. Um, three random words are better than more complex passwords, according to them. Um, obviously, going back down the uh, XC, uh, XKCD, um, yeah. Force Battery Staple Road. Um, it said a key reason to use this system is it creates passwords easy to remember yet strong enough to keep online accounts secure. Precisely. Um, apparently, uh, more complex passwords can be ineffective because they can be more guessable for criminals and the software they build to detect them. Um, yes, so, so if you have a short password that is uh, a combination of letters and words, uh, sorry, letters and words, letters and numbers, and all you do is replace I with one and three uh, E with three. Well, then that that's that's a pattern. That's a pattern that computers can guess. <laughs> mm. uh, whereas three completely random words are um, much harder for a computer to guess because they're random. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, longer. So, and and yeah. the truth is, longer. Longer is better. Yes, truth. More entropy. You know, the the more the more the more characters there are, the more difficult they become to crack. Um, counterintuitively, the enforcement of complexity requirements results in the creation of more predictable passwords. I'm not sure predictable is exactly true, but what they're saying is, you know, cyber criminals are uh, building um, brute force tools, which kind of what, what work on unfortunately the that, yeah know, unfortunately that, what happens is that people and this is quite a natural thing people struggle to remember passwords yeah. and therefore if they if someone says you need a number in this password they'll put one at the end of it yes they won't be clever and think oh I'll use something complex and and do this and do that they'll just add bits and as as it says i mean that's that's reasonably reasonably easy for a computer to guess because um, you, uh, especially when everyone does it, <laughs> it then becomes the norm. Yeah. Um, by following this advice, people will be much less vulnerable to cyber criminals, and I encourage people to think about the passwords they use on their important accounts and consider using a password manager. And there we go. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, the password I use for my um, keys of the kingdom, as it were, password, um, is, is of that type. It's three words. I can easily remember it. Um, they're they're related words to me, but they'll then won't be related to anyone else. Um, and um, there, I, I I use char padding characters and characters on either end, and yeah, and, and it makes it a very complicated password to guess. So exactly, I recommend people sit down and have a good think about it because once you've done it, it is easy to remember. Yep, uh, and uh, as I say, I use that for my iCloud password because I think that's probably the most important one I've got. Indeed, that and the uh, you know the password to your password manager. Yes, the two most important things you've got. Um, Although, don't make that so complicated that you can't you remember can't it. Remember you've it. Lost all your passwords because then you're in big. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, after we were talking about Pegasus, um, the iMazing app has been updated with a tool to easily detect if you have been infected with Pegasus. Um, can't hurt, I suppose. Can't hurt. Yeah. Um, quite rightly, I guess, as um, Bart pointed out when I said, obviously, you know, these things are highly targeted on um, high value targets because they cost tens of millions to develop and um, you don't want to go just putting them out there everywhere. Um, as Bart also pointed out, of course, that um, once they've been exposed, they move down the chain to um, criminals who use them to uh, hack people who are not fully up to date and protected. So, um, yes. Not a bad thing, I suppose. Can't hurt. Um, have you checked? Have you checked any of your stuff? Because I haven't. No, I have not. No. 
<laughs> nobody's going to try and Pegasus me, I can assure you. <laughs> <coughs> Not at the moment, anyway. No. Um, if, no. I, if I start seeing reports that Pegasus is being used by, you know, um, although, of course, my, mach my machines are always up to date, so the chances of me being um, compromised true. that way yeah, are likewise. pretty slim. Which is part said, keep up to date and you're as protected as you can possibly be. Yeah. Um, you know, and zero days, you're unlikely to be attacked by a zero day because on the whole, those are reserved for use on high value targets where you're going to get something worth having. Um, not conversation between me and my aunt Agatha. Um, so. But if you're curious, <laughs> yeah. I'm amazing. I'm amazing can now help. Yep, and there's pro I think there's several sites online that you can also um, check for you. There anyway, are. Anyway, yeah. Um, what have we got? Uh, the worth of chirp for this week. I think Donny posted this as well as I found it. USA Today. Ten cool tech hacks. Um, not all of these are, uh, are applicable to Mac, but um, they include such things as: um, Did you know that you can? Um, Use a triple A battery instead of a double A battery if you pad the gap with some folded up tin foil, which actually I did know. But there you go. Um, <laughs> in an emergency, is that, is that safe? Yeah. Um, yeah, in something as long as it's you know like their picture here, they've got a mouse where somebody's um, inserted oh, yes. the AAA. As long as you're keeping the tin foil well away from the other end of the battery. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, in an emergency to get your mouse going again, although most of us now have oh, rechargeable yes. ones. Um, um, how to turn your iPhone into a flatbed scanner using notes. Um, apparently, there is a flight simulator in Google Earth. I might check this out later. Apparently, if you, uh, you know, download Windows Earth um, on the Mac, if you type uh, command option A, you can choose an aircraft and where you would like to take off from, and um, then you can do a flight sim. Apparently, there was. And if there you... used to be a basic flight sim in a version in one of the versions of Excel. <laughs> yeah, that I was remember discovering. Um, yeah, there used to be a there used to be a version of Doom hidden inside. Um, there was a level of Doom hidden inside uh, Excel at one point. Oh, <laughs> was that? Yeah, right. I can't remember. Um, long ago, you had to go to a particular cell, which was like yes, you know, yeah, and do was, something, some weird yeah. incantation. Yeah, and you did. <laughs> it, it typed some, typed some um, code into it, and it would launch a. You could play a level of Doom inside That's your cool. Excel. Um, people like to do those sort of things. Um, how to whisper to your um, smart speaker? Um, yes, if you do, if you whisper to to her, she will. Uh, Whisper back. Say, you appear to be whispering. Do you, would you like me to enable whisper mode? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, if you have a Google device, you must first enable night mode uh, in order to do the same thing, apparently. Ah. Hmm. Um, I think this one probably only works on PCs, but you can use your headphones as an emergency microphone. Um, any pair of headphones as a microphone to record audio on your PC. Plug it into the microphone jack instead of the audio out jack and start recording. Apparently. Yeah. Um, I like these little hints. And I think we were saying before the show, weren't we? I, I, I just love these hints and tips. And just occasionally someone will come out with something and you think, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Oh, I've got to try that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how to, how to enable the um, the one hand keyboard on your iPhone? Um, if you can compress the keyboard over to the left or the right, depending on which thumb you would like to type with. Oh yes, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that being it, announced. Squashes it down to about three quarters of the width, and a couple of others. Um, oh, this one I did find interesting. Um, save on printer ink. With EcoFont, a collection of downloadable font styles which are perforated. Um, although it will look the same to the naked eye, these fonts have tiny holes in the numbers, letters, and symbols, and when printed, can save up to forty percent, forty-six percent of ink or toner. Oh, that's clever! So um, basically, just leaving leaving bits out that you can't see. Tiny little <laughs> holes all the way through. Effectively, don't print it as a hundred. Well, yeah, in in um, print terms, that would be you know, don't print it at a hundred percent black. Print it at about eighty percent black. Yeah. Um, an annual license costs about eight dollars for a home user. More for businesses. Um, I'm not sure that many home users would probably use enough of it to make a difference. But uh, no, probably in, not. Uh, I, I mean, I, I would still recommend Instant Ink if you're or someone who prints even half 
regularly. Yes. Um, because it, it will save you money. Um, and um, yeah, you learn very quickly that um, normal ink cartridges have got tiny amounts of ink in them. Yes. When they, they, send, they send you a standard ink cartridge and you pick it up and you think, good grief, that's got a lot of weight. Mm. That's because it's full of ink. Uh, because if because they're sending you the ink when you run out, it, there's no point in them sending tiny bits of ink in a cartridge. They actually fill them, and there's enough yeah. room for quite a lot of ink in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. I, yet again, um, which did a survey, I don't know, week or so ago, um, pointing out that uh, inkjet printer ink costs more per milliliter than top end champagne. Um, yeah, it is a little bit ridiculous. But there we go. The industry obviously isn't going to change, is it? No. Um, there we are. So at the minute, I'm paying um, £8.95 a month. And for that, I can print 300 pages with any kind of content. So I can have colour photos. I can have anything, really. Um, which, and I have, uh, you know, most, most people will be hard-pressed to get through 300 pages in a month. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing it for the church magazine at the moment because yes, the, so that, that we, cha we changed when um, when the lockdown came uh, and I stopped doing the magazine for a while. And at the moment, I'm emailing them most of them out. But there's still a few people who don't have email or refuse to use it or whatever. Um, so we still print about 20 magazines, which works out at about, about 300 pages, not quite 300 pages, um, which takes quite a while to print. In all it does honesty, yes. <laughs> it's even though it's only uh, twenty magazines, it, it 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 probably takes several hours to print. But I mean, basically, all I have to do is keep loading the thing with paper and just go away and do something. Do something <laughs> else. It, yeah, you might, you know, you might want to consider um, placing that with a cheap laser printer. Well, it it has crossed my mind that that perhaps that might be a good idea. But we'll we'll see where we go from here, really, because we may just go back to doing it in black and. I mean, the nice thing is I'm printing it in colour, of course. Oh, yeah. Um, which we didn't used to do before. We used to distribute magazine in, in black and white. So, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll see how we go. There we are. Um, and uh, the last thing we've got here for the just a snippet is a how-to. How to set NASA mission audio as your iPhone ringtone from 9 to 5 Mac. Um, and as That's pointed cool. out in the Slack, I think it was Alistair who said, I cannot believe in 2021 that it still involves connecting your phone to your Mac <laughs> with a cable in order to install a, you know, to install a ringtone. Oh, oh yeah. Custom ringtones. Who remembers custom ringtones when they used to be pages and pages of adverts in the newspaper for stupid custom ringtones that you could pay oh, yeah. ludicrous amounts of money to download? There we are. Uh, anyway, <laughs> if you're interested in doing that, um, how to you know how to import your ringtone. Um, there. And that, I think, Nick, is, uh, is done. We have done yeah, all the not stories. A, not a huge number of... Uh... Amount of stuff this week, but uh, no, not really. Um, it, even though some of it's probably reasonably important that we've talked about. So yes, I mean the, you know the big thing, this uh, the big story which will no doubt run and run is Apple and the Child Safety Initiative. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where that goes. Which will interesting to see where that goes. Um, there we are. So um, I guess we'll wrap it up. So uh, as usual, where can people find you, Nick? Uh, very occasionally on Twitter, I'm Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. You can hear me over on Bart's show sometimes, fairly recently. <laughs> yes, this, this, um, and, uh, this month and we were can... both on it, yeah. We were, we were. And uh, my normal church stuff, which is in the in the show notes. Um, we put another service out this morning. You're all very welcome to tune in and watch, join Excellent. in. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? You know, there we are. Um, I, of course, can be found on Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Um, the show is at Essential Apple. Everything is over at EssentialApple.com, of course. And, uh, yes, Nick and I were on um, Bart's show, so if you've not listened to that, go over and take a listen. Bart's Let's Talk Apple, the monthly uh, view of the news, which is always informative. Uh, you know, often more informative when I'm not on it, but there you go. Um, and if you want plenty of reading material, I mean... <laughs> oh, yes, if Bart, you want to know... Bart, yeah, deeply Bart certainly informed, puts a lot of stuff in. There's plenty of stories, um, yeah, 
in in his in his show notes about you know where he got the information from um you can find me in the slack room of course uh join the slack room by going to the show notes and clicking on the link to uh you know let yourself in as it were um thank you for listening thank you to all the people who support the show thank you for retweeting our stuff and all that uh you know if you want to send us money or beer feel free um and until next week i think we'll both say goodbye so goodbye for now goodbye you've been listening to the essential apple podcast and i'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both patreon and the pinecast tips jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show Uh, or even if you're really keen you could set up a recurring payment and thank you very very much to all the people who already do support us we really do appreciate you very much indeed this show is of course part of the my mac podcasting network where you can find a variety of other shows like the my mac podcast with guy and gaz the g-men tech fan with tim and david the nintendo club podcast the geekiest show ever the three geeky ladies uh Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Hi, my name is Dave Ginsberg. I'm the host of In Touch with iOS at InTouchWithIOS.com with my co-host Warren Sklar. We talk about iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and related technologies. We also have some great Apple guests from the Apple community that also talk to us uh, relating to any tips, any apps, any news of the day, anything that's going on with Apple. Please give us a listen. Our website is intouchwithios.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to you joining us again another time. Until then, goodbye.